For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation radio network. Voice of choice, Bruce Word. Wonderful Willie, the legend maker, Bill Apter. And back with us after a one-week sabbatical. He was searching for his soul somewhere on the planet. Mr. Killer Ken Resnick. How you doing, Ken? You feeling refreshed? Uh, I am, although a little disappointed. Everybody said absence makes the heart grow fonder. And when I logged on tonight, you were kind of like, oh, are you back? <laughs> I, I was we reaching want, out for my... Yeah. We appreciate, we, Bruce and I were talking before you came on here, that you did a dead-on imitation of Manny Fernandez last week. Everybody thought it was him. <laughs> we do want to thank uh, the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez for filling in the newest member of the VOC Nation family, the VOC Nation wrestling family. He'll debut his podcast coming up this Friday, and it'll drop audio, and uh, we'll have some video trailers, but it'll just be me because Manny doesn't do video. But uh, I want to thank everybody because uh, this has been by far our best month since uh, since we kind of relaunched. You're subscribing and you're watching the video clips, and we really appreciate it. So tell your friends, tell your neighbors, hit the subscribe button, rate us on iTunes, and uh, we really appreciate it. That's how we keep things going here. And we're here for the wrestling fans to take you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in wrestling history. Guys, I'm excited about today because we're talking about championships, when championships meant something. And this is part one of a several part series. And um, I'm excited. We got Vern Gagne, Nick Bockwinkle, and Harley Race on tap today. Ken Resnick, you worked with all three of those people. Uh, I did. Um, got to know really Nick the best, but yeah, I mean, as you're doing the intro, uh, I kind of think, you know, how lucky was I to, to work with, you know, all of them. Yeah. And, and that's what it's funny, Ken, cause you and I talked offline and you were, we were talking about 
how to uh, just steer topics in the next couple of weeks. And um, you were telling me how you felt like your run was uh, very short. You know, you had your run was really the, the heaviest time was in the mid 80s. And I said, well, that's the time period that a lot of wrestling fans that are 40 to 60 right now and listening to this podcast, that was their heyday. That was when everybody watched. So I know that when I talk to fans, interact with fans and they give feedback, they are um, very much excited about your stories from being in the AWA, which is the least talked about wrestling organization, but was the most successful at one time. Right. And, and it, oh, I, 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 it was certainly the most successful until Vince kind of launched nationwide. But, you know, as, as we talked about, and that's kind of how I think about it, but after we talked about that on the show two weeks ago, I got messages from some people that listen and say, wait a minute, I remember you in the 90s from the LPWA, and then someone posted on my Facebook page shows from, uh, Bill remembers, I'm sure, the AWF, I mean, Bill was at the press conference at All-Star Cafe in New York, Paul, which Paul was in Alperstein the, was the Paul Alperstein, Sergeant yeah. Slaughter, Tito Santana, which was in the, you know, mid nineties. So it was like saying, you know, my heyday was in the eighties. A lot of fans said, wait a minute, I remember you from the nineties. So it's like, okay, I can kind of say I had two, a two decade run. <laughs> Ken, before we get into the today's topic, just on that AWF note, because I know people are going to want to hear about it, and we'll do it in long form some other time. We could probably do a whole show on it. But was there buzz when the AWF started that it could be a major promotion? That did did the backers and the talent think that they could challenge Vince at some point? Um, yes and no. Uh, there was certainly buzz. It could be a major promotion but they were smart enough to know production wise everything else that they were not going to challenge Vince you know Vince was solidly number one you know WCW hadn't really come into to that big a play yet so not challenging Vince but I think there was a real feeling and Bill you were at that press conference at, at All-Star Cafe yeah. That with the talent, I mean, think about it. We had Sergeant Slaughter, who is yeah. still, you know, on the new cover even today. Oh, Tito Santana. We had the, the Road Warriors. Uh, Amazing. I, I mean, we had some really good talent. And for the budget, pretty good production. And, in you know, there wasn't any, it, everything was syndicated. But I remember, you know, midway through the first year, we were we did, uh, I think, in Orlando, for whatever reason, was our, our biggest market. We had a 2.5 rating. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Know, People so, would kill for that today. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, and, and really what happened, um, it was the cost of syndication really drained the financial resources they had where they had to pull the plug. But, you know, I still think if there had been enough money to maybe go a, another year to really get established, I think it could, could have been profitable. Keep in mind, Paul Alperstein, one of the main people who ran that, 
had the right mentality. At that time, I was working for WOW magazine. And uh, Paul told me that he's not looking to compete with Vince McMahon. Most every promoter always said, like Herb Abrams did, I'm going to put McMahon out of business. Yeah. No. That's what I'm going to Okay. No one's going to put Vince McMahon out of business, period, the end, back then or now. Okay. So the mentality was there that he wanted to, you know, have his own shop. Yep. And uh, I remember, unfortunately, when everything fell apart, and I never forgot this story, and I didn't think we were going to talk about AWF tonight. Yeah, sorry, I got us off track. No, it's okay. But I remember um, Harvey, uh, the, edit, the owner of WOW Magazine, came back to the office while I was in Chicago. I used to go once a month from New York to Chicago to be in the office for meetings. And he said to me, do you know a guy named uh, Alperstein? Yeah, why? I said, well, he, he, I told him who we are. And I said, where did you see him? He says, well, he's a waiter at the Kosher Deli. Oh, and I, was, I felt so bad. And I went to see him at one time and it was, and he was devastated, but he said he made a go at it. So, yeah. Interesting. We'll do a, a full show on the AWF at some point. So yeah. keep keep tuned to VOCNation.com. We got a lot of major stuff coming. We're going to do a rebrand. We have a premium content coming with including full video episodes for those of you who used to like to watch on YouTube. We teased you a little bit and uh, you'll be able to watch those for a very low price coming up very soon. We thank everybody who weighed in on the new logo and we made that decision. So there's a lot of great stuff and more talent to come besides Manny Fernandez. So now, can tuned. I break, can I break a, a huge contractual thing that has been going on silently between us here? Yeah. Go if, for it. In terms of the premium content, the answer is yes. I will bring some of the actor classic audio content from back in the 70s that I did with all the legends, Madison Square Garden, from AWA, from NWA. A lot of them will be available here on VOC Nation as this launch gets launched. Yeah, very exciting stuff. So we appreciate all the support. Keep subscribing. Uh, VOC Nation on Twitter, up to 27,000 followers. We appreciate that. Follow us uh, at VOC Nation. Follow Bill at After One Wrestling. He made a major announcement about uh, video content with high spots as well. So you want to check that out. Ken's on Facebook. We're going to get him on Twitter one of these days. Yeah. I, I keep saying I'm just not interesting enough to have any Twitter followers. Sure he doesn't are. understand. He short sells his value. Again, uh, Nick Bockwinkle. I want to start there because to me, Nick Bockwinkle was, when I talk to people inside the business, everybody talks about him as one of the most talented people of all time. Certainly a great, great champion. I think of him and Bobby Heenan but never really got the exposure that people like Flair and Hogan and superstar Graham and Bruno did. So tell me about your interaction with Bachwinkle. He was in the magazines, by the way. He did. Yeah, he was in the magazines, but um, on TV, not as much as certainly as the others. Tell me about when you got to the AWA, Bachwinkle, because he was still active and he was uh, not just active, but he was prominent back in, in the. Uh, oh, and, and, and for while I was there, uh, he had the title. I mean, yeah. he, he was a champion. Yep. Um, I have to say. Uh, his 
persona on TV as an arrogant heel. In real life, he was the exact opposite. Um, I was so lucky that I had the chance to, to learn and from Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan. And it was like, if they would see something that I could do better or differently, when we had a break, they would take me aside and say, remember when you did such and such? Hmm. Think about if you had done it this way instead of that way. I mean, they were great. Nick is one of the nicest, you know, warmest people. Um, and a lot of times as I was learning, not only the interviewing technique, but learning the business, if sometimes something would happen and I, I didn't quite, you know, understand it, I could go to, to, to Nick or Bobby and they would graciously sit down and explain it to me and, and teach me the psychology. But that said, in a lot of ways, Nick in real life was just like he was on camera. Bobby Heenan, I think, and, and Bill's heard this, Bruce, I'm sure you probably have too, summed it up when he was asked about Nick, he would say, Nick Bockwinkle is the kind of guy, if you ask him what time it is, he's going to sit down and try and tell you how to make a watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he, he was true. And, and Bill, uh, you certainly get your impressions, but I've got two great Nick Bockwinkle stories, which will illustrate what he was really like. But Bill, certainly your impressions. I don't do an imitation of him. No, no, no your impression <laughs> of Nick. So Nick Bockwinkle, when I first started touring around with the, with the magazines, when I met, when I saw him in the ring and got photos before I even met him, he had that Buddy Rogers thing going for him. He, he, was, he was, to me, he was like the second coming of Buddy Rogers. He looked like a champion. He kept his body well. Um, and on the red, on his interviews that you did with him and Mean Gene did with him, and uh, uh, I always noticed he loved to utilize his brilliant vocabulary. He was a wordsmith. He was a master of words. He would say things where people would have to look up in the dictionary what what he actually meant. He was very classy. Um, he and I struck up a friendship the first time I went to AWA and any towns we were in together, we always went out to dinner together and he always mesmerized the, he looked like a champion walking into the restaurant, but if he'd be at the bar ordering a beer or something like this, again, he'd use these $5,000 words that nobody could, and, but he was also a jokester, like uh, he had a very keen sense of humor um, one of the best matches I ever saw and photographed was a classic match that he wrestled in uh, Toronto against Bob Backlund, was champion versus champion there. And to see these two athletes who respected the wrestling business, yeah, 
and made it all seem so real. I mean, he was great. When he was around Bobby, though, um, I remember real quickly just uh, taking a date to dinner with us. We thought wrestlers are pleased. Oh, I'm a wrestler. So Bobby and Nick were on their best behavior in the restaurant. And then some old lady walked in wearing something not that looked terrible. And Nick just looked up and he says, oh, I didn't know they made formal burlap. Oh, boy. The insult. And then Heenan went after her verbally. But they were like, uh, they were very close friends together in and outside the ring. And uh, I miss Nick because the few years before he passed away, we talked probably twice a month. And he always imitated Jim Barnett. Ken, you remember Jim Barnett. Oh, what was that? What's the... uh... In all due respect, you're too young. Yeah, but I, 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 um, Jim Ross does a great, uh, uh my boy. That, right. So what, what, what Jim, Jim was very theatrical. Yeah. Um, he, we, a lot of people don't know that he was also involved in the head of the arts council in Atlanta. I love being, being in my forties and somebody telling me I'm too young. That is, it's that is, young. uh, thank, thank, that is, uh, that it's is a right. gift, Bill. No, but what I'm what's interesting, Bill. With Jim Barnett was was that Jim Barnett used to always call me a William. So every time Nick would call me or we talk, he'd say, oh, William. He he never called me Bill. He always called me William. And you were you're going to chime in on Barnett? Oh, no, no, not on Barnett. I I was going to say. It's interesting, Bill, when, when you talk about, you know, one of the greatest matches, you know, you ever witnessed was Nick and Bob Backlund. Uh, one of the, the two matches of the thousands, you know, I sat ringside for that stands out in my mind was the time Nick worked with Ric Flair in mm-hmm. Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um it was after uh, Nick and, uh, owned part of the territory. They had bought it from Vern. So we were doing the, this huge show. And Nick, you know, they was built champion versus champion, AWA versus NWA. And to the mess, uh, it had been years and years, or it may have been the first time Nick actually worked with Rick. But it, it was the bell rang. They barely touched each other for the, the first two and a half, three minutes. But the yeah. psychology that, that they both understood, they barely had hooked up and the crowd was absolutely crazy into the match. And I remember sitting at, at, at ringside and, and, you know, when you're trying to call the match, when it's that great a match, you kind of have to almost hit yourself because you become so engrossed in watching yeah. the match, you yeah. stopped talking about the match. Yes. I had a hard time shooting pictures of Bockwinkle and Backlund, and they were practically posing for me. Um, but it was Nick Bockwinkle, that big gold belt that he wore, out of all the AWA champions, he looked the most magnificent with that belt. And I love to pose him because... He knew how to pose. He was, he, it was like he was born to do this. And, and most times, Bill, 
he came out just with a belt and a towel. You know, he didn't really have any gimmickry attire. And more than anyone in his actions, he treated the championship with a kind of reverence it should have been treated as. as Absolutely. He was a heel, but he still showed absolute respect for the fact he was the champion. He was classy. Yep. The the one thing about Nick is, as you talked about a lot of the big words, Nick was one of those that sometimes he would get so wrapped up in what he was saying, but also listening to himself say it. We were doing TV in Winnipeg. We would go up. The house show would generally be a Thursday night, and then we'd have TV like on a, a Friday night at a high school gym. It was the old high school gym. The ring would, you know, set up on the gymnasium floor, and we were at the back up on the stage. You know, as broadcasters, you know, warm ringside, you could relax. Nobody was going to come out. You had a perfect view of the ring. Well, one of the tapings, I'm doing play-by-play, and Nick is doing the color. And, you know, it was kind of a, a, a squash match. I can't, you know, remember who the, the talent was in the ring. But Nick kind of got on a tangent and began speechifying. And he was kind <laughs> of wrapped up in listening to himself. So the match, you know, just comes to a clean one, two, three, you know, ending, not a real pop. And Nick is so wrapped up in listening to himself talk that he doesn't, even though he's looking at the ring, it doesn't register that the match is over. The wrestlers leave, the referee leaves. Nick is still speechifying. The guys in my headset in the truck are in absolute hysterics. Just say, just let him go. Just see where this is going to go. And finally, Nick stops. And then he looks up and the ring is empty and I just go, well, I guess finally we'll be right back. Oh boy. (laughs) But that was, and literally, I I mean, not with any arrogance, but Nick kind of got wrapped up in listening to himself and what was happening didn't register. That's hysterical. Was that a live show? Was that a live uh, show? uh, TV taping. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of live crowd, oh, tape, right? Yeah. but you know, the audience, you know, couldn't really hear what, what we were saying, but the guys, you know, b- back in the truck were in absolute hysterics. I have to try to find that one on one YouTube. One night too. in, um, I forgot what town it was. Uh, he and I went out to dinner talking about movies and books. And again, he liked to talk about other things besides wrestling. And I'll never forget that the, the uh, server came over and she said, what do you have, honey? And he went right into Barnett. Well, uh, what kind of stank do you have, my dear? So finally, after about six minutes of doing this Jim Barnett to the waitress, she looked at me and she said, what do you have? I'll say, well, let me say, let me look at. So we, we Barnetted her the entire dinner. Absolutely classic. I never forgot that. Barnetted her. Let me tell you another, and and this bill I'm sure can relate to this, but this was typical Nick. Um, You know, Nick, I mean, we didn't hang out, but I got along great with Nick. I I, I love Nick. And he and his wife, Darlene, 
after mm -hmm. he'd retired, had moved out to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't talked to Nick in probably four or five years. I mean, it was great, but he moved out there and I just didn't talk to him. And then when Tor Berg was starting the LPWA and got a hold of me and, you know, I was going to do the interviews and the play-by-play -play and, you know, a lot of the booking and things. And he said, you know, who can we get to do color? And we were going to do all the taping in Las Vegas. So I immediately said, well, you know who lives in Vegas? So there'd be no air or transportation or hotels is Nick Bockwinkle. And Tor used to promote someone. He was in Alaska for AWA shows. And he said, well, do you think Nick would be interested? And I said, I don't know. Let me see if I can track him down. And I, I, I call a lot of people and I for, forget who it was, but somebody said, I'm not sure if this is still good. This is the last number I had in Nick in Las Vegas. So I call the number and a man answers. And I said, you know, I, I apologize. I'm not sure if I have the right number. I'm trying to get a hold of a Nick Bockwinkle. And the voice just says, uh, can I ask who's calling? I said, well, I'm an old friend of Nick's. My name is Ken Resnick. And all of a sudden he goes, Kenneth, me boy, Nicholas Bach here. But, but, but wait, now I hadn't talked to him in about five years. So you Kenneth, Nicholas Bach here. And it was about 12 minutes before he took a breath and I could get another word in where I said, Nick, let me tell you why I'm calling. It was five years, never entered his mind. Why are you calling? What's going on? You know, I just like, Nick, I'm here. And then it was like, he, it was just Nick. The amazing oh, part about Nick Bachwell, another amazing part is, and we would talk about this once in a while and he never gave me the real answer, and maybe Ken, maybe you know this, he never really went to, I have to wrestle at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. But, and he would have been such, under those lights of the garden, oh, yeah. he would have been such a magnificent champion. Uh, did he ever discuss that with you? Because he, he never really gave me an answer. He just said, well, I'm fine with, with what I'm doing. And um, I, I think he was very loyal to Nick and Wally. To Vern, uh, right, yeah. and, and I agree with you. And I, I, I'm not sure how to phrase this because it, it is absolutely no disrespect or, or, or knocking, but I think Nick's character would have been so much more appreciated the you know the big words and the kind of arrogance on the east coast in new york more yeah. so than it was in the midwest sure. i think he would have been sure. over even more out there but he he never expressed uh, a desire he loved you know the in the twin cities he and darlene were were very happy uh and i think he was very comfortable and as we've talked about it in this show and I, I think you know Bruce and I and I think you did we did too Bill that when Hulk was thinking about jumping to Vince one of the things that was holding him back was he knew if he went there he wouldn't have the kind of time off yeah. that guys got here in the AWA yeah yeah and That's I think Nick, you know Nick was very comfortable 
he and Darlene were very happy at a great circle of friends. And I think he, he was making, you know, really good money. And, you know, certainly the, the cost of living here is much less in New York. And I, yeah, I, I don't think it was anything where he said, God, I've, I've got to go to Madison Square Garden. I don't, I don't think no, that was a lot of When Hogan went there, I had just shot a few months before that the title match between Hogan and Bockwinkel for the AWA title in Chicago, where the belt was taken away from Hogan. So that was so hot in the magazines. The mail we got was incredible. And people had never, on the East Coast, had never seen Nick Bockwinkel before except tape traders. Uh, so that would have been a huge program you know, for, for uh, WWF. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, 1970 to 1987 was his run in the AWA. And he actually, a lot of people don't know this, but he spent two years working in the WWF. Uh, come in, he came in in, uh, I think it was 1987, uh, for some color commentary, um, Bobby Heenan's replacement for a couple shows, and then uh, ended up being released in 89. And then I, th I think where most people uh, nationally got uh, knowledge of Nick Bockwinkle was when he was the on-screen commissioner for WCW right up until the launch of Monday Nitro. So he was the guy, I think they, they turned it over to JJ at that point, but Nick Bockwinkle, that was his time. But I agree with you and, and Bill totally, uh, may, no, Ken, I think it was you that said it. I think Nick Bockwinkle would have been an ultra heel a challenger for Hogan in the, the 1980s. I think, oh, I think that that was a missed opportunity that wrestling fans uh, never got to see. Well, and, they did it in, they did it in AWA. Well, but I'm saying on the, the, the really big stage uh, nationally Saturday night's main event or one of the WrestleMania oh, sure, that yeah. could have been, you think about two, right? If Bachwinkle had jumped for WrestleMania two, how much money would they have drawn? Not that Bundy wasn't, a monster and a, and a great heel and played that role. But imagine Hogan Bockwinkle for WrestleMania too. Yeah. I don't know. You see, and that's funny because I would have loved to have seen that, but Bundy uh, at that point was the monster that Hogan needed. Bockwinkle would have been the wrestler maybe, but Hogan was better against monsters than he was against a guy like Bockwinkle because Bockwinkle was a technical wrestler and Hogan could technically wrestle if he wanted to, but that's not the Hogan the fans wanted to see. But I, I, I tell you what, I, I will say two things. Uh, and you're right, Bill, Hulk needed a kind of another monster. But if, you know, after that, they had done a program, if, if Nick had gone there, Nick's ability would have made Hulk a better wrestler. I, I think there would have been, you know, great sure. matches. And I, I have to imagine, I don't know this, just as just me thinking, the fact that, you know, Bobby was already there as mm -hmm. close as Nick and Bobby were. I am sure Bobby talked to Nick about coming to New York and I'm guessing Nick was, no, I'm, I, I'm fine here. I, I, I can't imagine Bobby being there and, as woven in as he was to Vince and WWF that Bobby didn't, you know, lobby to bring Nick in and probably approach Nick and Nick just said, no, I'm, I'm well, think of this, think of this. Nick was 
the ultimate type of pro wrestler, okay? Maybe, and I don't know this for a fact, he saw where the WWF was going in terms of the entertainment value, and he just might not have wanted to be a part of that because he stayed with uh, Vern Gagne, not just out of loyalty, but I think he wanted to keep that his uh, people to remember him for that type of a product. I, I remember one of the, the great lines. Um, I think it may have been, I don't know if it was here or Chicago, but I, I was sitting in the dressing room with Nick and you know the main event was, was Nick and Vern. And all of a sudden, Nick kind of starts laughing and I go, what? And he said, tell me this, when you got in the business, did you ever think you would see a day when a 50 year old working with a 60 year old would be on top? Wow. Unbelievable. Speaking of that 60-year-old, uh, we're going to get into Vern Gagne on the other side of the break. I uh, want to remind everybody, visit vocnation.com for all kinds of free content. Uh, and this show is absolutely free with commercials uh, and on your favorite podcast app. So Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and radio.com, wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Ken Resnick, Bill Apter, uh, you don't care about me. I'm Bruce Work. We'll be back on the other side with more wrestling with history. We're talking about when championships matter. This is the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Back here on Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. That's right. We dropped radio because there hasn't been radio in over 10 years now. It's uh, This is all cloud and podcasts are the thing. So we're rebranding. So make sure you stay tuned to VOCNation.com. Follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation and we'll keep you apprised of everything coming, including some premium content that you're not going to want to miss very very low prices so stay tuned as they say in the business guys before we move on to uh Vern Gagne who I'm I'm excited to talk about we may not even get to Harley race until we do the second uh episode of this uh, series but um there was in a battle royal in 1987 Ken and I wanted to know if you were there it was in the Meadowlands uh, Luthes was in it, who trained uh, Nick Bockwinkel, actually. Bockwinkel was in it. There was a bunch of legends that had never really wrestled in that territory. And um, were you there? And do you remember? No, I mean, I, I remember the, the Battle Royal because, you know, we did some interviews for it. 
but we didn't do TV that night. So I, I wasn't right. there, but I, re, you know, remember uh, that Nick was amongst those coming in and, um, you know, I got it, you know, from some of the talent secondhand that uh, it, it turned out to not exactly be <laughs> overly memorable. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to read this list and, and Bill, uh, you can react after I give these names. So you I got. I don't think they televised that, by the way, either. So can you? Were... It, it was. Um, it's somewhere out there. It might be on YouTube. We'll try to. If, if you're watching the clips on YouTube, we'll try to embed a a version of it. We'll see what happens. But Luthez, Nick Bockwinkle, The Crusher, Sailor yeah. Art Thomas, Ray Stevens, Kangaroo Al Costello, Pat O'Connell, Pat O'Connor. Rene Goulet, I can't speak today. Gene Kaniski, Bo Bo Brazil, Dominic Danucci, Tony Garia, uh, Killer Kowalski, Pedro Morales, Arnold Scalin, and Chief J. Strongbow. I'm going to what tell a- you something. One of the names you mentioned there was a legend in the AWA, and that was Crusher, Reggie Lasowski. Oh. And very few people know this, and I have an old eight millimeter movie clip from the top of the old Madison Square Garden of him wrestling Antonino Rocca. He was, uh, he wrestled in Vince McMahon Sr.'s area for quite some time. He came in and out of there. A lot of people don't know that. If you get, if you get a chance to look at that, at that segment, Chief J. Strong, Strong, Chief J. Strongbow did the uh, what Jimmy Hart says is, uh, you know, equivalent to wrestling suicide. Jimmy always told me when we did conventions that wrestlers should never come to a convention not in their gimmick. He really had a real disdain for wrestlers showing up not looking like they looked on TV. And Chief J. Strongbow wrestled in this battle royal in a Hulk Hogan T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have any of his garment. At that point. So. What's that? Chief was out of shape at that point. He didn't want the fans to see what he looked like in his old uh, gimmick. Just don't do it, right? Just don't do it. I don't know. Well, they were, he was a saleable name in that territory. Yeah. Who am <laughs> I? Vern Gagne. Uh, the amazing, amazing talent. And again, somebody who wasn't on WWE TV and by the time that Vince McMahon Jr. and the the new era of pro wrestling came into play Vern was much much too uh, past his prime to compete but Ken Vern was still competing when you were working in the AWA Vern was born in 1926 so uh, in 1986 he would have been uh, 60 years old and Vern was still wrestling pretty actively, right? Uh, actively and, and pretty well. I mean, Vern could still throw a, a, a heck of a drop kick. And uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, well, it was like you know, in the first segment, you know, Nick looked at me and said, did you ever think you would see a 50-year-old and a 60-year-old on top? But it was because, I mean, as Bill has said, Nick was one of the all-time great, you know, technical wrestlers. And he and Vern had great matches. Oh, I mean, they um, sure did. You know, Vern, um, for I, I guess the easiest way, when Vern was in his 60s, uh, that to Vern was kind of the new 50s. Um, <laughs> I mean, he, he really worked out. He kept himself um, in shape. 
Um, so yeah, he was, you know, very active. I mean, you know, he didn't make the small towns, uh, you know, Vern would just wrestle, you know, the, the big markets. Um, but yeah, he was still pretty active and And he never, he never, um, he never compromised that at his age that he couldn't wrestle. He always had back from the days, if I remember correctly, he had, uh, Olympic training, there. Oh yeah, I mean he uh, he wrestled at the University of Minnesota. Right. In fact, um, I'm not so sure that he wasn't uh, NCAA champion one year. I believe he, he was, but but what I'm saying two is two NCAA titles. Yeah, but he kept himself. He kept himself in the type of shape and wrestled guys that where they complemented each other, like Billy Robinson like Nick Bockwinkel, it was very rare that you would see him against a maniacal bad guy. Yeah. He, he always believed in pro wrestling. And even though he ran the AWA, if he would not have booked himself if he didn't think he could still hold up with these other guys. Well, and, and, and one of the kind of maniacals that, that he wrestled quite a bit uh, was Sheik Adnan El Casey, but what a lot of people don't know is Sheik wrestled for the Iraqi Olympic team. Yeah, I mean, right. while Sheik was this, as you said, well put, maniacal heel, Sheik probably, other than Vern, had the best amateur background of the rest of the talent in the AWA. So that's you know one of the reasons that that Vern wrestled Adnan so many times was because they, you know, they both had amateur backgrounds and could have pretty good technical style yeah. Yeah. matches. The same thing with Baron Von Raschke. Yep. Yeah. Same thing. Other than the claw part, Raschke put up a hell of a technical match against Vern Gagne. I, I think Jim, I know Jim was a great center on the Nebraska football team, but I also think he wrestled at Nebraska. So yes, he also yeah. had a, a technical background. Yeah, but everyone on that roster, on that AWA roster, whether Vern was champion or Nick was champion, they all had real technical wrestling backgrounds. Yeah, I, I think of all the promoters, Bill, I, I think it's safe to say no promoter appreciated amateur wrestling background more than Vern did. Oh, he used to send that also valued it, but nobody more than Vern. Sure, he used to send Brad Reingens to uh, uh, to Europe, to the Olympics and stuff, to scout out uh, wrestling talent. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, Ken Patel. I, I still think yeah. if Jimmy Carter hadn't boycotted the Olympics, Brad would have absolutely been the, the gold medal winner. And I think Brad would have had a much bigger career because he would have been nationally known. No, Mr. Carter's, President Carter's mother loved Mr. Wrestling number two. Mr. Wrestling number two under the mask would have been an Olympic champion. You know, it's funny. I said, Ken your mother. I, I said Ken Patera and, and I, <clears throat> I'm not going to go back and edit it out. I'll let people uh, uh, destroy me for it. But Ken obviously was uh, an Olympian, not for wrestling. He was for weightlifting, but Anyway, moving on. Vern uh, Gagne. He was, an excellent, he was an excellent pro wrestler. He was. In the AWA and the WWF, he was an excellent pro wrestler. 
he was, but not an Olympian for pro wrestling. That that's for sure. Uh, pro or um, Vern Gagne was drafted in the 16th round, 145th overall, by the Chicago Bears in the 1947 NFL Draft. <laughs> Ken, did Vern ever talk to you about his pro football career? Um, I, I think he was drafted by the Bears, but I think he ended up, he did play, but I think it was uh, he and Dick Atlas, not at the same time, but I think Vern played a, a year or two with the Packers. Interesting. Wow. And did, did he talk about that? Is that something, I guess the NFL wasn't as prominent as it is today back in the forties, fifties, sixties. So they didn't make as much money, right? So a lot of the NFL players had other jobs and a lot of them would choose wrestling, wouldn't they? I mean, even as far as the the seventies and eighties NFL players had off season jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting how things. I don't know if we discussed this on one of our, other broadcasts, but Vern was one of the best protectors of kayfabe in the business. As much as he knew that I knew what was going on, he never would discuss any of that stuff with me, even when I did those uh, PWI scouting report segments on a, a lot of the AWA shows. Anytime I needed information, he would always it would always be uh, Alderusha or uh, Greg, or one of these, but Vern would, he always made like, when I'd ask him a loaded question, because I knew he knew that I knew, uh, he would always just kind of, I don't know what you're talking about. When newspaper writers wrote uh, stories about the AWA, they always went to Vern and Vern protected the business as if it was an, an Olympic sport. Right, Ken? Vern used to get so angry um, because the, the writers in the Twin Cities, uh, whenever they would do a story on, on wrestling, um, always referred to Vern as the heavyweight champion of the seven county mosquito control district. That's how they referred to him, uh, you know, because, and, and Bill, you're 100% right. He protected the business. Even years after I, I was in there doing the interviews and, and everything else, Vern would, you know, okay, we're going to do this or in this interview, I want you to do this and that, but never had a conversation acknowledging it was a work. He would talk about it, but you, you couldn't, you know, ask him or, you know, question it um you know the other guys i i could but you 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 couldn't approach Vern that way yeah you know unlike nick bockwinkle though Vern did make several appearances for wwf uh he and vince senior had a very good relationship and um you know it was uh it was amazing to see that the fans through the magazines back in those days knew who he was and they appreciated they they applauded um, his his talents there. He was that classic wrestler and some of the best matches that I ever remember seeing uh, in person uh, and I know his matches against Nick were great, but the matches against, the classic matches against Billy Robinson were out of this world. It made me wonder, this match is real. Yeah, yeah Billy, 
I mean, part of that was Billy Robinson. I mean, was a great technical wrestler, but you know, he learned in, in England, the European style, he liked to work closer to the mat, but you know, people talk about the road warriors, but I would contend in the AWA, Billy worked the stiffest. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Billy and Vern uh, were friends, got along, but, but they had some, some great matches. They're both uh, shooters. Yeah, you, you get a kick out of this story, Bill and, and Bruce, too. Um, you know, the fact Vern was running the promotion, I, I think it, it's safe to say amongst a lot of the, the talent, he wasn't exactly universally loved, uh, would be a, a fair way. And he was wrestling at the old Rosemont Horizon, he was main eventing, as we talked about, against the Sheik. And I still, you know... There's... When you say the Sheik, you're saying Adnan, not... Uh, just Adnan, right, people. Sheik Adnan. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know who, you know, there's different stories, who botched the maneuver, but at any rate, Sheik broke Vern's ribs wow. in the match for real, as a shoot. So Vern was in a lot of pain and, and couldn't work for a couple months. And the, the joke was after Sheik broke his ribs, he didn't have to buy a meal in the territory out amongst the boys for months. Everybody was buying a, a non lunch or dinner. Now I, I got to ask you guys, and, and one of you probably knows the, the truth on this. There's a rumor out there, and you're talking about Vern protecting the business and uh, being a shooter. Hulk Hogan wanted to be the champion, and Vern was going to acquiesce and give him the belt, but only if he shared money from his merchandise, a, a good portion of it, including the money he was getting from Japan. Hogan says no jumps to WWF. And the Iron Sheik has that match with Hogan, Madison Square Garden, for the title. There's a story out there in legend and lore that Vern paid the Iron Sheik or was willing to pay him to break Hogan's leg or mess up his knee uh, beyond repair in that match. Is that true? Did, has, has that ever been validated? I, I heard the rumor, but I, I have... No light to shed. I don't know, at least as far as I was concerned, uh, that that was ever validated. And, and um, I don't know about breaking the leg. I just think that if the conversation went on, it would have been just double cross him and don't do the job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I agree with Bill. I, it wouldn't shock me, you know, because Kaz, you know, wrestled here. Uh, so Vern certainly knew him. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, like, you know, double cross him, you know, some, you know, like the, the screw job, you know, Sean, uh, you know, beating Brett. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I can't imagine Vern wanting to see someone hurt, you know, you know, uh, embarrass him when the title change. Vince's business at that point. Yeah, but to hurt you know, the business, think, but not physically. No, no, I, I, you know, I, I, I think there may have been a little conversation about what Kaz could do, uh, not make it a good match. You know, a lot of those things. But I, I can't, 
I think Vern had too much respect for the business to try and get someone to actually hurt someone. Yeah, what about, we didn't discuss that uh, Vern's family, how so much of his family got into the business. Obviously, Greg, right. also his, sister, uh, his daughter, Kathy, uh, was a broadcaster and she wound up marrying Larry Zabisco. Um, and so it was Donna for a while. Right, 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 yeah. So they made a very good, Vern made a very good life for not just himself, but his whole family with this. And he, uh, you can't argue, he's one of the most iconic pro wrestlers uh, in the world because you could go anywhere in the world and Vern had wrestled there, yeah. Well, and again, in terms of being the dominant promotion, the AWA was the prominent promotion for a lot of the country in the 1970s and even into the early 80s, right? Yeah, I mean, there, were no, there was no cable. Right. Back in those days, you, you saw the, the prominence of the company was what you're seeing on TV. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, if you, if you think about the markets, I mean, Vern, you know, the AWA and television was huge, you know, in Winnipeg, in the Twin Cities, in Chicago, in Green Bay, in Milwaukee, in Denver, in Salt Lake. I mean, they they had some pretty big markets. Ken, there's a there's a story that you told in longer form. Um, I don't know, it might have been a year ago now, but there's a lot of new members of the audience. So in a very short form, we again talk about Vern protecting the business. Um, you told a story about you um, being uh, smartened up or, or not smartened up. Uh, Vern was going to show you that the business was real and you were saved by a legendary figure. Can you tell the short version of that story? Sure. Um, you know, I, I'd only been there a, a couple of months. Um, I was going on, uh, Gene had left. I was making my first trip up to Winnipeg and uh, at TV when we were taping uh, interviews, Vern said, hey, uh, when we get back from Winnipeg, uh, I want to bring you out to uh, the, the, the barn, which was where he had, you know, his school. And he said, you know, I was just thinking that, you know, Greg and I and a couple of guys, you know, if we show you some of the holes, it'll probably help you because back in those days, I was doing the interviewing, I was doing the play-by-play, -play, and sometimes I would ring announce as well. Vern said, I think it'll really help and bring out the play-by-play. The -play. And I mean, I knew what was going on, but I guess, you know, I was still a little naive. And I said, you know, okay, you know, fine. Uh, and then the night before we were leaving for Winnipeg, I get a call from Hulk. And it's like, why is Hulk calling me? And he said, you know, where do you live? And I tell him, he said, I'll pick you up on the way to the airport tomorrow. Uh, I'll give you a ride to the airport. And I'm thinking, you know, Brother. okay. But, you know, he said, I'll pick you up at like nine o'clock or whatever. I'll be out front. And I arranged to have a buddy of mine on standby because, you know, I didn't know Hulk all that well. We got along great. But, you know, is this guy pulling a rib where suddenly he's not going to pick me up and I'm going to miss a plane and get, you know, so I didn't know. But, you know, Hulk comes up, picks me up. And we're going out and he said, look, he said, you're not stupid. You know, this whole thing is a work, right? He said, whatever you do, don't go out to that barn because all they want to do is hurt you and make you believe that all this stuff is real. Yep. So whatever you do, don't go. 
And it was Hulk that, you know, warned me off and, you know, kind of smartened me up. Remember when we talked about this before, that was the mentality in those yep. days in Florida with Eddie Graham yep. and his guys. You would get stretched before they wanted to convince you that it was real. Then they would tell you, no, little by little, you had to learn it was a work. Yep. On your own. But they wanted yep. to feel the, the feel what they what they went through to get into the world of pro wrestling. It was very, very real for the people who wanted to get into that. And, and I, I'm pretty sure I have the timeline right. Um, I, I think Hulk really took that personal that these guys wanted to go out and try and, and, and hurt me because I think it was a little bit after that that he came up with the, the nickname Killer Ken, which is, is stuck to, to this day, kind of wanting to put me over uh, a little more. But it was Hulk that said, hey, don't go Remember, he went through that when Hiro Matsuda uh, broke his leg. I think it may have been the, the first interview uh, I did with WWF with Hulk, um, where and it wasn't anything we had rehearsed. I kind of started the interview, brought Hulk in throughout uh, Adrian Adonis, and Hulk just said, wait a minute. Before we get to that, there's something you and I got to get straight. And I'm like, you know, whatever you say, Hulkster. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going, oh, God, what is he going to do now? Um, and he went into the whole routine of giving me the, the name Killer Ken for the WWF markets. But he went on to talk about how he is never going to embarrass himself when he loses all his hair, and I think this was just, you know, putting Rick over, he said, when I lose all my hair and all my flair, I'm not going to embarrass myself and come in and out of retirement 10 or 12 times. Well, so he yeah. a direct shot where, you know, the wrestling world, you know, like it was about, you know, Every you know six to eight months, Vern would unretire for a reason, and and then uh, you know come back again. Uh, and it was like you know in the lead up to to Wrestle Rock and doing the Wrestle Rock Rumble. I mean, everybody was just wondering when Vern was going to announce because we all knew you know even at you know sixty well over into his sixties, there was no way Vern was not going to be a part of that show. Right, I'm retiring again. <laughs> You know, the only other guy I think that may have matched his retirement that had 700,000 uh, retirement Terry matches. Funk. Terry Funk, exactly. Who he, I used to talk to him. He says, after that's it, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And then two weeks later, after I'm making the comeback, you're going to be there. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, I, we're not I say the 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 only one when he announced his retirement that was really done. Period was Gorilla Monsoon, and I think the story is he took his boots and like threw them in the river. But Bill, I, I you know, in terms of big stars, when Gorilla was done, he was done. That was it. There was no comeback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we we could do a whole show on him too because I know Ken, you worked with him very close and. And Bill, uh, I mean, you obviously were around him for years. Let me take one more short break. We'll come back on the other side. Wrap it up. This is Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation 
Wrestling Network. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. World. Back here on Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. Stay tuned to VOCNation.com. We've got a lot of great stuff coming down the pike, including premium content. Follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Follow Bill at After One Wrestling. Bill's got a lot of cool stuff going on, too, with uh, a tape library. Bill, why don't you tell us real quick what you did with High Spots? Wow. Well, the uh, I was privileged to go into the video vault of the classic Savaldi um, library there and help pick out hours, about 3,600 hours of uh, video on there that is now exclusively available. And I'm the host of the series exclusively available on the High Spats Network. So yeah, please check that out. The first one actually uh, was uh, dropped. I used to say aired, but dropped on the... Uh, uh, March 9th. Drop is uh, it, it's a new term. I had to get used to it too. It's an <laughs> and old it, it took term. It took me a long time to get away from radio. You know, that was always when I was doing radio and other people were doing podcasts. We we would get guests and we are we drew more because we were radio and and talent loved that. And well, the other old school type of thing like radio is real magazines, magazines. back again inside the ropes magazine.com. So great magazine. Anyway. Next week we got uh, we're going to do Bruno San Martino and Harley Race is, is uh, part of our champions oh, series, and wait. I'm excited about that. Um, we're going to do a lot of people were asking for more on Vince McMahon uh, as uh, that that say that show went by very fast. So we'll do some more Vince sometime in the future. I know there's a lot of stories that we we. I mean, we didn't even scratch the surface and Ken worked there for three years. I'm sure you have a lot more backstage uh, interactions. So we'll do that and keep giving us your, your feedback on what you want to hear. Follow us on Twitter at VOC nation and let us know. Ken um, just uh, in wrapping up Vern before we get out of here today. I mean, his uh, final, the, the final way we remember him was unfortunate. Uh it, it was, um, you know, whether it was from, you know, a lot of chair shots and concussions throughout his career, uh, Vern ended up uh, in a care facility suffering from uh, dementia and, and Alzheimer's uh, and tragically evidently had some sort of flashback uh, where he picked up this um, 
90 plus year old Holocaust survivor uh, body slammed him um, and the blow to the head, uh, the man lost his life from that. Um, and obviously it was certainly big news uh, here in the Twin Cities where it occurred. Um, and it was just sad that the last really big public story about Vern was that tragedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very unfortunate, but um, a, a wonderful career. And, oh, iconic. I mean, in a lot of ways, everybody talks about Vince McMahon as the reason for wrestling, but really without Vern, there might not have been a Vince McMahon vincent k mcmahon so uh Vern was just a figure that we owe a lot to as wrestling fans well a lot of people don't know really Vern kind of became a star the first real wrestling on television was out of chicago the old dumont network yeah and yes. it was a big name i mean he you know really pioneered wrestling on television i think that would bill am i right that that was i think the first the, the, dumont network, TV. the dumont network was famous for two things milton burrow on tv comedian and professional wrestling and Vern Gagne was one of the people that were on was on that dupont show yeah and if there is any question bruce as to why we refer to Bill Apter as the legend maker. Who else could get Milton Burl and Vern Gagne in the same sentence? Exactly. Exactly. Amazing he didn't have Jerry Burl, Lewis. Milton Burl, B-E-R-L-E, for you people that don't know. All right. We're out of time for today's episode. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast application, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, for Killer Ken Resnick and the legend maker, wonderful Willie Bill After. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Ward. Thanks for listening. And gentlemen, send us out. Well, I'm going to send you out a different way today, okay? All right. Next week, we're doing Bruno San Martino and Harley Race. So here's... Ask the two of them to plug the show for next week. Hey, I need Bruno and Harley to plug next week's episode. Which one do you want to hear first? I want to hear Bruno first. You know, this doggone voice of choice, this doggone voice of choice nation, you know, when you look at them and you see them, you get doggone it. Okay. And then Harley would and say, Harley. well, you know something, when you're listening to a podcast, or you're watching something on this YouTube, you gotta remember that BOC Nation means everything to all of us. You better be here. Very good, very good. Ken, as you would say. I, I, I'm not even gonna try and top that. Oh, you come know, on. Quiet enough to know when you can't come close, just be quiet. He does. He he's holding out on his gimmick, everybody. One of these weeks, we're going to get him to do it. Yep. We're going to get yep. him to do it. We'll talk to you next week. Wrestling with history, VOC Nation Radio, oh, VOC Nation. Bye. Yeah, the network.
right here is the future of wrestling.